Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Zafonzo Davies, treble winner, and you're listening to Ranks FC. Hello Rank Squad, quick disclaimer from me, the next four minutes are going to include a poem that basically sums up everything that's happened in domestic football so far, but if that's not your thing, fair enough, skip to the five minute mark where we get on with things normally. If it is your thing, hold on tight. What's good, Rank Squad? The rhymes are back. Oh yeah, that's right. It's the return of the Jack. Now, quite a lot's gone down since we started again, so I thought it was time to bust out the pen, take a look at the good, bad and insane since football revved up its engines again. Throw it back to August, where Ligue 1 went first. The French were the ones to quench that thirst, although the curtain raiser didn't set pulses racing. A nil-nil draw, not the most pulsating. While the big boys slumbered, Marseille, PSG, Nice and Rennes set the pace with an early lead, but the fun and games always comes to an end, and PSG led the table by the ninth weekend and Bappe's back at it scored seven set up six and even Moisey Keane is right in the mix it's not been pretty and in Europe they're a mess but domestically there's no doubt PSG passed the test a little shout for Lille before we move this along who are second and looking very very strong ticking nicely in the Europa Renato looking good maybe they might be the little engine that could a fortnight later came England and Spain La Liga and the Premier League ready once again in both these leagues the fun's just beginning and this time round it's not the obvious winning. We'll start in Spain where there's fun to be had and not where it might seem. David Silva went to Sociedad and has La Real playing like a dream. Top of the table, all sorts of fun and Oueta's the place to be. Could they be in the title race for the first time since 2003? Jao Felix Atleti have finally arrived. Him and Suarez pulling up trees and change feels like it's in the air upon the Spanish breeze. Barcelona in transition after messy summer revelations. Willy, won't he sort it out but with the complications. A president down, a future in doubt Blaugrana feeling blue but in the madness Pedri, Ansu, FDJ hope springs anew and on the other side of the Clasco divide Real are rumbling on but the tuning's off at the Bernabeu too plenty going wrong Benzema injured penalties galore the defence in tatters of white Los Blancos look like they might not be ready for that fight the Premier League's been a riot where goals and chaos thrive there's a title race they're all at it everyone's come alive we've had broken scoring records shouts out to goals FC we've had Villa thrashing Liverpool Paul Ollie Watkins scoring three. We've had that Spurs United madness and Lanzini from the edge. We've had Calvert Lewin's headers from Hammers' pitching wedge. We've had Brendan putting Leicester right back in the frame. We've had Bielsa's Leeds madness and Lookman's penalty shame. Jose has Spurs ticking. Kane and Son are telepathic, but City have started slowly. Can Pep refine the magic? Klopp's Liverpool want to go back to back, but they need a defensive key because Virgil's out for the season. Get well soon, VVD. Southampton at the summit for an afternoon or two and Frankie Lampard finally getting a tune out the boys in blue. Ollie's under pressure Arteta's arsenal up and down. It's completely wide open as they all search for the crown. And Germany and Italy went on to complete the five where the Bayern and Juve dynasties have continued to thrive. Bayern looked the better bet to carry on that form. Won their first game 8-0. 
Hansi Flick brings the storm. Though even the champions look vulnerable at times and they lost 4-1 to Hoffenheim. But Bayern are blessed with searing pace, astounding skill and depth for the race. You'd be a brave soul to lay it down and bet against them keeping their crown. There's fun to be had though across the board. Dortmund's attack is a sharp, sharp sword with Haaland and Sancho and voice back to Par, Gio Reyna, Jude Bellingham, Torgan, Hazard. Madness at times in the yellow and black and let's not dismiss the chasing pack. For Leverkusen, chaos remains king. Even without Kai, Gung-Ho attacks the thing. Leipzig took some hits on European soil, but Nagelsmann has them slowly come into the boil and Gladbach too are finding their feet while Wolfsburg are yet to haste defeat. And so we come to Serie A. Last but not least, because everyone's eating at the Italian feast, Milan lead the way. How nice is that to say? A former giant awakened by a Swedish patron saint. Slatan leads the scoring. Of course he does at 39. And he has the Rossoneri wondering if it's once again their time. Perlo's Juve are quite shaky trying to work out what they are. But if anyone can work it out, the professor holds the cards. And Conte's inter-struggling. It's not what we expected there. And a defensive implosion has the big man tearing out his hair. Atalanta hot and cold. Napoli battling away. And Sassuolo sitting in second as we look at it today. Fair play to the Zerbi. And a shout for Roma too. As Fonseca's team continues to write an eternal project new. So we're up and running listeners in a season like no other. Strap in, hold tight, it's going to be a ride and we've got you covered. Europe's Big Five summed up in poetry, sharp and sleek. Perhaps the Champions League will get its rhyme on Ranks FC next week. Well, that is the first ever poem on Ranks FC. And thank you for listening. Welcome to the show. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me as ever, the rank god, Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, buddy. Hello, mate. And of course, transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. The poems are back. Well done. You finally got round to one. It's um, it, There hasn't been much to write about, but I thought this was a good time to break in the season and really assess what's gone on so far. So I hope I've, uh, I've done it justice. Um, but let's get started because we've got a big episode today, our first guest episode, and it's going to be cyclical here on Ranks FC. We are picking up the guest who was our first guest on BR Football Ranks as well. Mr. Jimmy Conrad, delighted to have him back in the building. And he's going to be coming along a little bit later to talk about the biggest shocks of the season so far. But before we get onto that, it's time for things we love. And Dean, you're going to start us off this week. Yeah, it's probably more a shock than something I love, to be honest. And I want to talk about Real Madrid because I'm not quite sure how bad things are going to get this season. I think it's time to just assess where we're at right now because they were beaten 4-1 by Valencia at the weekend. We didn't talk about this on the Patreon show on Monday, so let's address it right now. For anyone that doesn't know, they led 1-0 through Benzema, decent strike, but then they conceded three penalties and scored an own goal. Carlos Soler scored three penalties. He did actually miss one as well, but it got to uh, have another go at that one. Um, that, was not, that was nice of them. <laughs> that was very nice. Um, once it went to 1-1 that game, Madrid seemed to lack ideas, and I think that they're is a fundamental flaw in this squad. And namely, it's that they haven't got enough depth in this squad. Um, the strongest 11, fine. We saw against Barcelona, they beat them 3-1, fine. The strongest 11 can get the job done. When they have to start changing things up a bit, they are going to struggle. Now, this season, they've been beaten by Cadiz, Shakhtar, now Valencia. They've only played 11 games and they've lost three. Go back to last season, they didn't suffer their third defeat until match 33. So that shows where we're at right now. I think it underlines that they really did need to spend over the summer and that they will absolutely spend in 2021. Um, I think over the international break, questions will be asked in the Spanish media about Zidane's team selection. Um, the, I hate to say it, but 
Isco, uh, he doesn't fit in. Though. He's he's not up to it. Is that um, doesn't fit into the team or doesn't fit into his kit right now? You see it. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not sure. Maybe both. Um, I'm I'm I really don't know what's happening to Isco. Also, Marcelo, like what he plays, they lose basically. Um, he's not in a good place. I'm sh- not sure these guys can be used anymore unless it's absolutely necessary. It's early days in the season, so I'm not going to say they're not going to win any trophies. But there's a deep issue here. Yeah, it feels weird, doesn't it, Sam? And we were saying that this was Madrid's opportunity with Barcelona in crisis to really kind of put their foot on the neck in La Liga. And yet they seem to have really not bounced on. And, and it's Atleti who seem like the most likely candidates to really put up a title charge here. And and of course, obviously, Sociedad who are, who are flying. But it's Atleti who seem the strongest of the big three right now. It does, yeah, it does. Real Madrid, I mean, Dean's right in that they do lack they do lack depth. I'd actually I'm genuinely more concerned about when they have to rework the defense and the attack. Although that said, Benzema limping off uh, and getting injured against Valencia, like if that's a bad if that's a bad problem for, for Benzema, they are in so much trouble. Because as we've talked about before, they're so exclusively wired to work around Benzema and their depth options, while very promising and very young haven't quite got there. Don't necessarily have that killer instinct and that reliability factor right now. Um, Jovic, we saw, play Jovic, play Jovic. It's time. It's, <laughs> time. it's Luka it's Jovic time. season. But they've, got, they've, got, I mean, they've got problems whenever Danny Carvajal isn't fit and having to play Furlong Mendy at, uh, at right back is not good. Uh, Ramos is definitely up and down in his level. Varane is too. Uh, Valverde has been terrible. This yeah. is not the World Cup winning best of the crop centre-back that we got used to. He is... He's Shit. having a really bad season. He is, yeah. Oh, Valverde yeah. is injured as well. I saw I saw his leg was in a splint in a brace um after the last game. So I mean it does kind of feel like a lot of a lot of things are hitting Real Madrid at once and maybe that's skewing things a little bit uh, a little bit a little bit poorly for them. Also, like <laughs> Zidane just said after the game, basically everything that could possibly have gone wrong went wrong. And um it's kind of true if you lose, if you concede three penalties and score an own goal, but and Benzema gets injured and Valverde gets injured. Um, so hopefully, maybe all their bad luck has been used up in one for their sake because <laughs> it can't carry on like this. Well, yeah, it's maybe a, an international break to regroup and go again and just have a look at what's happened here and try and sort things out. But you're right, it hasn't been the start of the season. And as we said on Monday, the narrative has been that Real Madrid have started okay, you know, and Barcelona have been the club in crisis. But there's now five points between them with Barcelona having a game in hand. And it doesn't look all that tight anymore. It, you know, it doesn't look that, that things are the one-way traffic. And I'm sure that other teams will be looking at both of them and thinking, yeah, all right, this is the season to have a go, isn't it? This is, Atleti must be looking at this, licking their lips. Sociedad must be thinking, right, why not? Why not? And and I think that there's probably validity to what they're saying, although you'd imagine they will get better in the second half of the season. Let's sh- shift it on, Sam. What's your thing I love this week? So what I'm loving at the moment is that people, just people generally, are recognising what a great player Declan Rice is. And that may sound strange for long-time listeners because here at Ranks, we've had pretty much nothing but love for his footballing ability. Speak for yourself. Ability. There have been a couple of comments from a certain Irish host about allegiances and pieces of silver and things like that. But ability-wise, I say we've generally been on the same page here. We think he's good. But he's had serious doubters and they've been pretty loud, those deniers of his talent, for quite a while. I've always found it a little bit strange. So it kind of warms my heart to see my Twitter timeline this season filling up with, ah, Declan Rice is pretty good, isn't he? And what really sealed it was when I was looking at my timeline this morning and Michael Cox had him in his team of the season so far for the Premier League on The Athletic. 
and people going, yeah, rice is good. And pe people weren't piling into the comments there to be like, what's rice doing here? People were like, where's Grealish? Why is Hammers on the wrong wing? Because the graphic designer did it the wrong way around. But um, it was, it, that kind of rice was in the team of the season so far. And it wasn't really a bone of contention for a lot of people. And that shows you just how far he's come in lots of estimations. And I'm going to use this as a, a jumping off point to have a little bit of a rant, just because like, I feel like Rice was always judged on what he wasn't rather than what he was. And that's really harsh on a player who is still just 21 years of age. And we know that he can dominate a midfield physically. We know that he can hoover up the ball and, and really make, a sh make an impact in the middle third. But we know that maybe he wasn't the best creative threat, wasn't much of a goal threat. Maybe his left foot wasn't quite developed. He was a teenager when people were saying this, and he was 20 when most of the criticism came in. He's got 11 caps for England, and on Thursday night, he might well make it 12 against a team that he has three caps for. That he the abandoned. Repu the, Repu the Republic of oh. Ireland, which is why I've decided to bring this up now, because it's, he's going to be in the spotlight this week. It's going to annoy Jack, so it's the perfect formula for something I love to open this podcast but Declan Rice legitimate player and everybody is starting to realize it and I'm so happy this would be a good moment for him to score an own goal in the 90th minute and yeah. whip off whip off his England shirt to have an Ireland shirt underneath but uh unfortunately I don't think it's gonna you happen wish. he yeah yeah I, mean, I do wish but unfortunately I don't think it's quite gonna to shake out like that I'm afraid but yeah could be I mean, rice and Grealish. season could yeah if rice it's rice and Grealish it'll be quite upset maybe they could play Michael Keane as well at center back just to really rub things in and you know you know any other anyone else who, who fancies it you know here we are moving along again but you know oh, such yeah. is life well, I'll tell you what that's interesting about all this as well. Like, so Declan Rice, obviously having a great time at West Ham. And we've spoken plenty of times about the Chelsea links and how they see him as the defensive midfielder that I guess they crave long term to just sit in front of that defence. What's interesting, though, is um, Declan Rice did a, an interview at the weekend and he spoke about the player he wants to become. And he said, if you look at the top players who drove their teams forward, you think Patrick Vieira, Yaya Torre. I feel powerful and I feel strong enough to make those surging runs forward. I feel that that's what I've got in me. Um, and you have seen a few times recently, like Declan Rice going on these like surges forward. And that hadn't been something maybe, I don't know whether he wasn't allowed to, whether he wasn't confident enough to just go and do that. Obviously, he's now a real leader in this West Ham team. And maybe he just has more license to decide how he's going to play. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens here because if that's the kind of player that Rice wants to become he might have to stay at West Ham to become that player because I don't think that's what Chelsea have in mind for him I mean Sam do you think he's he's got the capability to be one of that type of player a Vieira or a Toro well I mean that was another one of those criticisms of it of him wasn't there it didn't really have that kind of second gear that kind of ability to to drop the shoulder and move through those move through those gears and show a bit of acceleration along with that power you know I'd like to say that's kind of like a, like an original Musa Dembele trait, um, who was a, a bit a well-built midfielder, but had this this kind of grace to him as he started to surge forward. And also the other comparison that came to my mind wasn't even Yaya; it was 18-year-old Phil Jones storming forward for Blackburn Rovers, <laughs> which was just for those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, was one of the most incredible sights in football for about six months, and it's what actually won him a move to Manchester United in the first place. But ultimately, that's not something. He's something he has actually struggled with in the past, and it, but it's obviously a learned trait that he can start to build on. He obviously has the power, and I think he probably has the speed. He just needs to learn to channel it in the right way. And I'd be very interested to see him do that. But I would echo your thoughts there. If he signs for Chelsea, he's going to have to sit and protect, just as he does for England. So yeah. 
if he does want to become Yaya Torre, Dean is probably right. He can't really go to Chelsea or City because Pep's had him on his shortlist for, well, between 12 and 18 months on and off, hasn't he, Dean? So, mm-hmm. you know, you're not, he's not signing for City and becoming a box-to-box number eight. That's, no. that's not what they'll, they'll use him for. Right. Enough of treachery and, and Declan Rice. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's move on to something else. What are you going to talk about now? Whacking? Uh, I, I, you know what? I might just for just for, just to try and lift my mood again. No, I want to talk about Sassuolo, Roberto De Zerbi's Sassuolo. And this seems like a weird time to do this because they drew nil nil against Udinese on Friday night in, in a remarkably dull game. Um, but one which you would earmarked for everybody. To I had watch. earmarked it because I thought it was a good, you know, a good opportunity to have a look at, at Sass, and they <laughs> they basically didn't live up to any expectations. Now, had they won that game, they would currently be top of Serie. Yeah. Uh, as it stands, going into the international break, they are second with four wins and three draws. They're one of only three teams not to have lost in Serie with Milan and Juventus, and. You know, I just want to, you know, single them out for some praise because there's some really cool, interesting stuff going on at Sassuolo. And I think perhaps best encapsulated when they beat Napoli 2-0. And, and De Zerbi plays this kind of weird style that kind of fluctuates between a 4-3-3-4-2-3-1 and a 3-4-3. And against Napoli, he was missing the only three players who had scored for him this season already in, in Berardi, Caputo and Juricic. And, and yet... They, they played an absolutely magnificent game where they basically just stifled Napoli for 60 minutes, kept the ball, made them just like really, really work uh, and then hit them on the break twice. Jeremy Boga's just come back from an injury, best dribbler in Serie A last year, 11 goals. And he really started the, the kind of counter that led to the first goal. Then there was this Napoli flurry where they chucked the kitchen sink at Sass and they scored again on the counter late on. And I think it's just a, an interesting point to make that they are worth watching this season. They seem like the real deal. Now, the Zerbi has spoken at length about the fact that he adores Marcelo Bielsa. He's spoken in press conferences and, and also at like uh, big conferences about his, his love for Klopp and Maurizio Sarri. And a long time ago, I think a couple of years back now, Pep Guardiola spoke quite admiringly of his abilities and, and what he's done. And I just think the Sass are really interesting on a, on a kind of tactical and personnel level. I mean, Domenico Berardi has, has come back in and he's been, you know, magnificent for a long time now. And, and Locatelli kind of anchors the whole midfield there. He was obviously originally on loan from AC Milan and, and made that move permanent. He's been absolutely brilliant in the middle. And, and they just play really interesting football and, and the way that they kind of keep the ball and play really safe and then kind of smash transition into into really really quick counters they get the ball forward very quickly and Sicio Caputo has been excellent kind of in the middle Juricic either playing as a 10 or a kind of slightly wide midfielder has been phenomenal and now with Boga back they're a, a really interesting side and I'd just like to to point them out and say that yeah perhaps the nil-nil on Friday wasn't the best example of their prowess but they should be one that you're keeping an eye on they're definitely a side to, that I think probably can not necessarily go the distance in terms of I don't think they will be getting a Champions League place. I don't think they will quite get to that level, but definitely in the in the European spot contention, I think for for Europa League space. And after this break, they have Roma, Inter, and Milan before Christmas. And I think those are the games that we're really going to see kind of in, whether this side can stand up to to sides that are playing well, not in Inter's case, but in in Roma and Milan playing very very well. You know, against the big guns that Inter have and and see how they get on. So yeah, just just a kind of 
eyes up on Sassuolo because they're, they're doing some really cool stuff. I'll make sure to watch them, Jack. All right, I will, uh, we'll leave it there then. After the break, we're going to have our old friend Jimmy Comrade back on the show to talk the biggest shocks that have happened this season. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. Well, I'm delighted, I'm honoured, and I'm glad to be saying that again, to welcome back our first ever guest, and now the first ever guest on Ranks FC, our old friend, Mr. Jimmy Comrade. Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on again. How are you doing? Oh, it's an honor. I'm buzzing right now. I, when you guys asked me to be on the show, to be the first guest, it's such a thrill for me to be involved in what you guys are doing. I'm really excited about this next step in your adventure. So uh, I'm wishing you guys the best of luck. Feels nice and cyclical, Jimmy. First guest on Ranks, <laughs> first guest on Ranks FC. It's, um, we're, we're going all the way around and it's, um, it's good to hear your voice again. We're, uh, and we're going to be doing some ranking as usual. And Sam, I know this is uh, one close to your own heart, so I'll leave it to you to pitch it up. Yeah, I mean, look, it's been it's been a ridiculous season. We keep talking about it. We keep saying that. And we've wanted to talk about the biggest shocks and surprises of the season so far. But we didn't want to do it ourselves because we, we worried about maybe going over some old ground a little bit too heavily. So we drafted Jimmy in to do it for us because it cuts down my workload. Fulfill- <laughs> Thanks. And it, I appreciate that. And it fulfills our contractual obligation to make sure Jimmy <laughs> does everything first and everything else we ever do. And, of course, most importantly, Gives us a little bit of a more fresh perspective on things. So, Jimmy, I'll throw it to you. Uh, you've got at least five, if not six, seven, eight, nine, ten things that have shocked well, you. Well, so, so, well, there is a, quite a few things. I, I guess I need to know what is inbounds and what isn't uh, with regard to everything's this. in play. Okay, that's fair. That's play. fair. Also, I, w- I do want to say that I should have added that I feel like a good luck charm for you guys. So, I'm hoping the, the very best for Ranks FC. Okay. So, w- where does COVID fall into this? Because Obviously, that is by far the most shocking thing. But I was like, do I really want to? I mean, that's that's so clear and obvious, unlike some of the calls we see with VAR. Hey. I, I know I just don't know uh, where that would fall. So I guess I guess just to kind of get the conversation going with an honorable mention, I feel like that should just be a preface. Yeah, it's I'm like an umbrella, to, isn't it? Yeah, I'm trying to stay away from the, the COVID-related stuff because that seems, right. as I said, obvious. I think the, Bund- the Bundesliga starting first, I think, was, was pretty shocking. I was very suspect of that uh, when they started it, because I just didn't think, wow, these guys think they can control a virus that is yet to be contained. That's pretty bold strategy, Cotton, you know? So, <laughs> um, so I'm going to kind of leave that out. I will say that uh, my number five, just to get kind of going is Cristiano Ronaldo getting COVID. I just thought that guy was a robot. So it just was like, <laughs> and not only he didn't get it once, he got it like twice back to back. Like I've never even heard of that. So I don't know what's happening, but whatever straight of COVID, it got him. So I thought that was pretty cool. That'd be my number five. Well, I mean, we Go saw ahead. we saw kind of like a mutated version, right? So I guess the <laughs> I guess the virus mutated specifically just to get Cristiano twice. It was... It's probably something nefarious done by Leo Messi in the GOAT debate, right? Yeah. I, I thought this when, you know, when Zlatan came out and was like, the rest of you should be safe. Zlatan, COVID tried to take me on and lost, but the rest of you are, are not so lucky. You're like, oh, no, please don't do this. No, yeah. please don't go down that. But it has it has spawned some interesting things. Yeah, I don't know if it's like a strain for perfect abs or something. I don't know which <laughs> which whatever, or just do it. Because if you're an underwear model or whatever, you know, you uh, you get that kind of COVID. But uh, so that was number five for me. It's kind of more of a joke. One thing I'm pretty shocked about just as a serious matter, I'm sure you guys have talked about this ad nauseum, is the like the implementation of VAR, specifically the handball rule. I think it's complete trash. I think it lacks consistency. And I don't think there's any room for interpretation with regard to nuance. So I'm going to bring up the Champions League play where RB Leipzig, if you guys remember, ball gets played up over the top to Forsberg. 
he misses it with his header completely. It hits Kimpembe in the arm, and there's nobody behind Kimpembe. It's one thing if there was like a PSG player, uh, excuse me, uh, RB Leipzig player that's running in, it's going to be in all alone, and the handball stops that. The fact that that's getting called for a handball, and I know you guys have your own set of issues in the Premier League specifically, but it drives me goddamn insane. So I'm glad that there's going to be some type of, hopefully, some type of, uh, you know, interaction or, or some type of getting in there, getting involved, having a discussion about adding nuance and subtlety about, you know, what's a handball and what isn't. I thought yeah, that was doesn't, an, doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work to have a blanket rule. Well, there was, I saw someone say the other day that the punishments are no longer fitting the crime, right? So there's one thing, you know, a shot being blocked by a hand that, that's going in on the line or whatever. And we look at, you know, certain examples of that. The Barcelona Betis one, you know, last weekend is the one that jumps to mind immediately. But it ultimately has stopped a goal by, by, by that happening. Whereas if it comes out and it hits you on a cross and, you know, your hand's by your side... And I saw someone suggest that maybe it's time to put, start putting some indirect free kicks in or something to, to kind of mm. justify the, the kind of way that it hits. Because you have caused an, in, you know, an injustice, if you will. But equally, the punishment has to fit the crime. or We start ending up with mad, mad games with, with five, six penalties in them a, a yeah. piece. And, and that's, that's dangerous. It is stupid. I mean, luckily, Premier League refs are, are so fed up with this that they're trying to intervene now. And they're actually asking for the lawmakers to to stop them from making these stupid calls. Um, they themselves are disillusioned by the fact they're having to give penalties for stuff that they don't want to give penalties for. The Joe Gomez one, for example, at, at the weekend, yes, it's handball and I get it. Like it has obstructed the ball and it's path to getting to where it needs to be. But what's he supposed to do? Cut, he's supposed to cut his arm off. Like he has to jump. Um, maybe an indirect free kick is the answer to that. I don't know, but that is not, fair it's not fair and it's, it's happening too much there are way too many penalties at the moment and as a result of all these penalties you're getting all these mad results because games are just getting out of hand you can quickly overturn a game just by getting a couple of mad decisions in your favor no I'm, I'm with you on that I like that indirect free kick addition a lot that you still honor the foul per se but as you say it, it has to match and fit the crime. I did yeah. want to say the word I was looking for before was intervention. I'm glad there's going to be an intervention with regard to that. What, what, I'll, what I find interesting is that they need to give the referees, and I'm glad they're bitching about it too, to, if they're going to go and take some time to go look at the, the monitor to see what, what, if he missed anything or just to make sure it matches what he saw when he made the call. If the ball's going to get crossed in, we'll use the Joe Gomez thing, and it's clear that three other Liverpool players, based on the flight of the ball, will probably get to it first and head it out. I don't, again, I don't think that should be a penalty just because it hit his hand in the box. So I hope that they like bring in that nuance. I, I think that would make a big difference. And I think it would be These aren't people. even the worst ones, are they? Do you remember the Newcastle Tottenham one? Uh, the, oh, so I mean, bad. Eric Dyer, right? Yeah. And Jimmy, I know you're a Newcastle sympathizer. So uh, I, I mean, I guess you were conflicted there because it helps you out. But you must be sat there going, really? Like, really? I mean, yeah. I honestly, as a, as a Newcastle supporter or any team that I support, I actually want to win games because we're the better team, not because we got some BS call in our favor. And even I was actually proud of Steve Bruce to come out afterwards and be like, I don't really feel good about this at all. We'll yeah. take it, but I don't feel good about it. So I'm glad that he addressed it in that way because I, I, I think we all kind of felt the same way about it. I yeah. mean, you're a defender yourself, Jimmy. I mean, how do you feel on a personal level? How do you think you would have done as a player now with this ruling? How do you think you would be feeling? Oh, I'd be irate just because it's so black and white and there is no room for gray. And I remember having conversations with referees when I was playing that it didn't seem fair if all of a sudden there was a bad giveaway or whatever, and maybe I'm tracking some striker into the corner and he whips in across, 
and maybe I'm sliding to block the cross and it hits my hand. But if you look into the box, there's none of his players. Like he's just hitting a hopeful cross. Like how does that justify a penalty when it's clearly not going to score if it didn't hit my hand? Mm -hmm. So there's little things like that that used to piss me off that they've called before. And, and yeah, I'm glad. Actually, I didn't hear that. I hadn't heard that the, the referees were pissed too. So that 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 warms my heart. They're actually human yeah. beings. So that's nice. Okay. <laughs> well, this is, yeah. this is good because on Monday, and a lot of our post box questions from our patrons, a lot of them sent it on VAR. And on a Monday episode, we tried to basically steer away from VAR because we wanted it to be a, f a more fun day. We didn't sure. want to spend our entire Monday stewing over it, but it's good to get this therapy session done. Let's get it out. Let's get uh, it out. We got to vent. Venting is yeah. important. It's part of the it's, process uh, of healing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But also, I mean, you've just talked about handballs, Jimmy, but but the offsides are starting to get, get to grips with it as well. And uh, I think yeah, it, he opened it up. He opened it up. I've done it. I've done it. I'm going to, if we're going to talk VAR, we may as well do the entire shebang, right? Like, so, I mean, the Bamford one, I think is the the, the top of the iceberg. It's the, it's the, the kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back he's pointing where the ball he wants the ball to go he's not trying to score with his hand like he's pointing where he wants the ball to go it, it, it just doesn't make any sense and I actually said a couple of weeks back in the Champions League Mason Greenwood was on the shoulder of the last defender when he scored um, and it was one of those goals where you're like, oh, this could be ruled out. And I was really glad it wasn't because playing on the shoulder is becoming one of those things that is, is going to become outdated if we continue on like this. Because the old rule was you give advantage to the striker when it's really tight, right? Now there is none of that. It doesn't exist. Mm. The, the lines have to be perfect and all these things. And it does make the off-the-shoulder runner almost desolate. Like, you know, it, there's no point having them if every second two out yeah. of every three chances is going to end up with an offside call that is made by millimeters yeah what, what, what's the solution there is it to go back to just all it has human... to be the positioning of your feet doesn't it like if your feet I, th I think you've got to give attackers go back to giving the attackers yeah, right, some right, benefit right. of the doubt so you right. need to be like level should be on side at the moment it's not because if your feet are level then part of your upper body is probably off if you're running forwards that's just yeah. the, that's just the way the science works and I just think that like, it's the positioning of your feet, not your armpit. Like that's All what right. matters here. We're playing football. Yeah, yeah. And I think if your feet are level with the last defender, then you're on. But that, that for me is where it should be drawn. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know if we wanted to even just lose VAR on offside completely and just let it be back I just to don't being human. Do it. I'd love to, to be honest, at, at this point, but I just don't see that ever happening. Now they've put so much money into introducing yeah, right. it and all the rest of it. I don't see that happening. I think the only way to take this back a step is to just kind of go back to the old rule, but modernize it. I've also, sung on this, right? Because uh, Fulham Atletico Madrid in the, the final of the Europa League 2010 and Diego Forlan scored an offside goal in the 120th minute that would, that, you know, took the game away and Fulham would have had a penalty shootout to win their first ever major trophy in history. Right. And I'm still, still <laughs> about the fact that that goal was tell. offside. I can't tell. I can't tell. I think this is it. So I can't justify going like, oh no, we'll go back to human error. Cause I was so angry about it and still have been. So I think there is something in VAR. I just not sure that currently we're, you know, it, it's not supposed to be, you know, millimeter perfect. That was the whole point, right? The game is played at such speed and, and, and at such pace that millimeters change by the instant. And, and the fact that we're going back to these things to make them, you know, to, to actually check them at such minute detail makes so much difference. Whereas, you know, I think everyone's saying if it's level, it's on, right? And, and if it is, and, and that's the point that's supposed to benefit the striker. And we've lost that in the kind of madness of, of what's happened recently. To bring an even more recent example in here is that England played Iceland in the last international break. And 
England had a perfectly good goal ruled out for offside. And it's amazing then how desperate you are for VAR to step in and be like, no, that was cool. Yeah. So the solution absolutely is not get rid of it. <laughs> and it, 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 it can't be because it only takes one game without it to make you realise that actually it's quite important. But then obviously you, it takes one game with it to realise how infuriating it can be. And ultimately what I've come to the conclusion with is uh, the, the rules of football are not suited for this granular level of inspection and the referees unfortunately are largely not reliable enough to be able to do every part of their job inside that one minute window I don't know where we go with it but I don't think the solution is to get rid of it just because of the fury I felt when Kane's goal was ruled out against Iceland when I knew that in most other competitions or stadiums in the world that would have been checked and it would have been okay Yeah. yeah, I'm with you on that. The one that jumps out to me is Sadio Mane against Everton. Yeah. And uh, he was walking away from goal. <laughs> and then he gets the ball and he kind of reacts quicker and, and gets the job done. I mean, he's off by, I don't know, like a millimeter. Mm-hmm. And if, if he had been leaning forward and trying to gain that advantage with his movement, all right, I could see that a little bit more. But he's walking away from goal and they still punished him for that. I mean, sure, he's being a little lazy, I guess, and not being onside and, you know, fair play to the defenders for holding a tight line. But that one just seemed ridiculous to me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, Jim, yeah. let's, right, move, let's on move on to, on. to on. number four. Oh, God, therapy you want to go more VAR? Over. Therapy session done. There's, I don't know if I'll ever be done with VAR therapy. <laughs> okay, so I'm kind of torn with this one because I don't know if I want to make it number four or number three. I'm just going to say, because I think it'll generate some good uh, conversation. I have been... Shocked might be a strong word, but pleasantly surprised with the American acceptance of American players in Europe with Weston McKinney going to Juventus, Sergio Des going to Barcelona, Christian Pulisic getting the number 10 shirt for Chelsea. It's starting to happen. We're, we're, we're figuring it out over here, boys. We're starting to <laughs> develop some pretty good young players that are worth giving a shot to. And they're now uh, being littered all across some of Europe's biggest clubs. And that for me is awesome and very exciting. And I think it speaks to us kind of figuring it out a little bit. We're, we're not there yet. I'm not going to say, well, there are tweets I put out there that we're going to win the 2026 world cup and don't at me everybody. All right. We're hosting the thing. I think that gives us a better chance, <laughs> but we're putting things in place now that I think will make us a really, really tough team moving forward. And I'm excited about that. We also have Chris Richards who, who uh, came from FC Dallas, but he is now emerging as a, as a viable player for Bayern Munich and getting into their first 11. I mean, we got, we got, we got kids all over the place and that must make you guys worried. Cause I've, I've put it out there that I think the U S will win their first world cup before England wins their second. I'm just I saying mean, look, Conrad, Conrad De La Fuente is over at Barcelona. Right. You've got a, lo- right. a load of yeah, Lanes is over in Germany. You've got all, all of that under 20 crop Dest over at Barca. They, Reggie they, Cannon at Boa Vista. Let's they're go. Making, right. Yeah. They're making ways. Uh, Jimmy on the Western McKenney point, actually uh, be interested in your thoughts on this. We've had Western on, on BR football ranks and we, we, we adore him. Uh, we think he's great. We love the fact that he's so into Harry Potter. He has tattoos on his fingers of it, but I, like, as a great appreciator of Weston, I was still pretty surprised that he managed to land a move to a club of the stature of Juventus. I thought when he got linked to Southampton in the summer, I thought that was the perfect kind of first step away from Schalke before he takes another one. He went straight to Pilo's Juve. What did you make of that? Well, I think any step away from Schalke is the way to go. That's always the <laughs> I don't know any direction you go, I think was going to be the perfect step. <laughs> Southampton would have been awesome, obviously, given their success. And, and uh, a hat tip to Ralph Husenhudel for, for really getting that team um, working together and firing on all cylinders. I, I'm excited to see how their whole season plays out, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah, I was surprised as well for him to end up at Juve. 
obviously I think there was some relationships behind the scenes, but when you think about it from, from Juve's perspective, you take a flyer on an American kid, you pay 3 million for him and you might have the option to have to buy him at 18 million. If he does well, then you're going to start selling a lot more Juve jerseys in the U S you're going to start to emerge in, into an, a market where they probably want to get bigger. Every big European club wants to get bigger in the U S from a marketing standpoint. I think it's genius from, from a competitive standpoint. I think they had nothing to lose. It was a win-win for everybody. And if it didn't work out, then he could maybe trickle back down to Southampton as it were. He's starting to get more minutes too. He's playing a, a lot, which I thought was a bit of a surprise uh, because they had, brought in Archer to to replace Pionic. I, even though I, I like Archer a lot, McKinney's getting some minutes. My issue there with, with Andrea Pirlo, even though he's my lord and savior, is is he ready to kind of manage a team of that? It is his first job ever. That's going to be difficult. And I think we've already been seeing that there's some inconsistency there. He changes his lineups a lot. That's never a good look. And uh, obviously he's dealing with COVID and some of his top players being hurt and everything that goes with that. But but I think that's given Weston some, some opportunities. So I'm happy about it. And I, I think just him being around, like even if he didn't play a lot, just being in the environment of what it looks like to be around world-class players that have had success for many, many years is only going to make him better. And of course, he comes back into the national team and he goes, hey, this is what I'm learning at Juve. This is how they carry themselves at Juve. This is how winners carry themselves. Then Pulisic comes in. He's like, I've seen some things at Chelsea with some world-class players, you know, and then you have Serginho Des going, I, I play with the GOAT, you know? And, and so you have all these these great cultural backgrounds that are going to start to come in, in terms of how to have success at the highest levels. And I think that's only going to help our national team. So I'm all for it. That's all I wanted to say. I'm all for it. On Pirlo and the inconsistency in the, in the lineup, Weston started the first game and played really well and, uh, and then dropped out of the starting lineup for a bit. And this has been the case with a lot of their players. And Jimmy, we have spent the last three weeks on this podcast. Actually, no, I've spent the last three weeks on this podcast complaining about Pirlo's changing formation, changing personnel, uh, about how he uses Danilo. Uh, about the fact that he uses Danilo at all, actually. Um, and it's, it has frustrated me quite a lot. And one of the frustrations is that I haven't seen Weston play quite as much as I think he probably deserved to based on the front, the, the, the first foot forward that he put was great. And I don't get it, but there you go. It's one of those yeah. weird things because, you know, obviously we we read what Jesse Marsh said about Lampard's comments about Pulisic, where he was like, you know, oh, he's got a lot to learn and that kind of perception of him coming from America. And, and weirdly, I was talking to Jason Davis about this on on his podcast, the soccer show, uh, the best soccer show. And it was one of those things where he was talking about Fulham and saying that there's been this old you know, kind of connection between Fulham and, and, and perhaps that's why, because McBride and Bocanegra and Dempsey, et cetera, et cetera. And that's maybe why Anthony Robinson and Tim Ream have come in and they're, you know, immediately widely accepted by the Fulham fan base because we know and, and kind of have loved what's that connection between Fulham and America for so long that other clubs are now sort of almost playing catch up. You know, when you see what Pulisic came into Chelsea and did and, and, and you know, Retson by the fact that he's got that 10 shirt now you think okay he was better than you gave him credit for and there were so many things you remember around that time people being like oh it's to do with commercial it's etc and, and, and look there must be an element of that to all football these days I don't think anyone would be is shirking away from the fact that that's part of the game now but it was a, a massive discredit to Pulisic's ability and, and to what he can do, I think. And, and with all that in, in mind now, I think it's really interesting that we're seeing this development and, and, you know, someone put out an 11 the other day of where you could pick, you know, the, the different American, if you could pick the, the entire national team and, you know, the midfield of, of Pulisic, McKenney and, and Tyler Adams being Leipzig, Chelsea and, and Juventus now. And, and, and the whole way through that, that side is now 
you know, at playing at clubs that you, you know, you go, yeah, nice, good, impressive. You know, even from the bottom and you look at Reggie Cannon and Andy Robinson, you think Fulham and, and Boa Vista aren't, you know, top, top clubs, but they are clubs which have a standing in, in big leagues. And those players are learning week in, week out against, you know, the best in the world. And I think that that's impressive and important. And it, it is a good sign going forward. As much as I'm pissed that Weston McKinney isn't playing as much as we think he should, Sam, I believe that them not being automatically chosen every single week is good for them. I think it's good for their character. I think it's good for them to deal with adversity. And I think that's going to make them stronger players moving forward. So Gino Dest, I thought he did okay his first couple of games. Then he sits Brilliant for a couple classical. of games. Yeah, and he sat, then he sat for a couple of games. He didn't play. So, you know, having to deal with that and how, how to handle that and try to figure out how do I get back into the team now that I, even though I played okay, it clearly wasn't good enough for me to cement my status as the number one guy in that spot. So I don't mind that. Pulisic is dealing with the same thing. I mean, Frank Lampard wants to play his illegitimate son, Mason Mount, every single game. So <laughs> I, 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 you know, he's got to figure that out. And not on top of that, not only does he have this Mount thing, he, you know, they're spending a gajillion dollars on, on Kai Havertz and Zayich and Timo Werner, who's now playing out wide, who I think actually is better with Tammy Abraham up in the nine. We don't need to get into the tactics of that, but but, you know, how is he going to now fit back into that team when he gets healthy? He's going to do it because obviously he's got that spark to him that maybe some of the other players don't. But yeah. I don't mind I don't mind that they're being challenged a little bit. I just, you know, at some point, once they do establish themselves, you just wish that the, the, the managers would give them that full belief that that's my guy and he's going to run through a wall for me. Absolutely. To go back to the original point, I think that what really initially set back this perception of U.S. soccer, I, I genuinely, especially in the U.K., was Bob Bradley. I mean, his his spell in the UK, he just became a joke. He might as well have been Ted Lasso, to be honest, that turned up um, because he was just I mean, they still call him. And, and there's still a, a TV show here that still refers to um, a character called Brad Bobley um, <laughs> and making fun of him. And it's it's really disrespectful, obviously, when you when you consider Bob Bradley's career. But there was this whole perception that kind of went back to the stigma around US soccer and how it was just a joke. and it's taken this unbelievable crop of players to actually show everybody that, okay, this, this country do have actually a, a clear path, a way to, to make building a really good team. And I think generally, and when you look at US teams in what, the last 10, 15, 20 years, like there has been this progression until I guess four years ago, and now they're coming back again, that this team really can be something special. And to be honest, I, I take your point about US winning their first World Cup before... Um, England winning their second because, I mean, the expectation on, on the England team is always going to hinder them. But it's also the fact that we can't rely on the mentality of our great young players actually delivering. And I think that in the US, there is just a better mentality that's ingrained in them from a young age. And sending them to Germany to to get that um, that upbringing is a really, really good idea. I think I want England players going to Germany. I don't want them staying in, in England anymore. They need to go to Germany and follow the US model because I think you're right. The US are onto something really good right now. We'll leave that at number four. Number three I have is kind of a combination and it's a Liverpool combination. Virgil van Dijk getting hurt was very shocking. But in the, in the emergence or let's say the silver lining of that, I think it's forced Liverpool to look at their team a little bit differently. And Diego Jota might be the signing of the summer when nobody thought that was possible. For me, that's pretty shocking. Jurgen Klopp just came out and said, he's actually better than I thought he was. <laughs> which, is, which is amazing, by the way, that a manager would ever come out and say that. But uh, it's just been a pleasant surprise. And I think it's given a nice boost to, to Liverpool to potentially 
you know, despite the loss of Van Dyke, which, you know, and now Trent Alexander-Arnold, which can talk about the congestion of the schedule, which is a different conversation. I just think that I never thought in a million years that, that the words Diego Jota might be Liverpool's best player this season. That's one. And Diego Jota might be the, the best summer signing or the best signing of the, the last transfer window uh, would ever come out of my mouth. So then maybe that would be number four and Americans would be number three. But I just thought there has to be some recognition of that because it's been pretty incredible to see. Jimmy, right. did you, do you think that Liverpool can win the league this season without Van Dijk? I think the congestion of the schedule is going to work against them along with a lot of the other big clubs that are playing in multiple things. Calling these Champions League games that I'm doing now for CBS Sports, I was tired watching them for three straight weeks. I was like, man, I can't, I don't know if I can watch any more Champions League games. So I can only imagine <laughs> what the players are going through. And then having to, you know, travel midweek somewhere and then having to come back to play domestically against a big opponent, you know, uh, Man City, Liverpool. They looked amazing for the first 45 minutes. It was such a great game. And then the second 45, you're like, what happened to these guys? They're like dead tired. It's like you play, you know, the old man in the over 40 leagues or whatever. The, the, like he's great for the first 15 minutes, but then you can't count on him for the next hour because he's dead tired. You know, that's kind of what it looked like to me. So it, I don't know what that's going to look like. I think fatigue will make a difference. Uh, and, and so that's possible that a club like Leicester, I don't know. I mean, they're still playing in Europa League. So, um, you know, they still have their own issues too. I don't know. It's interesting. It, that's a good question. I think they have it in them, of course to do it. And I think Fabinho or if Matip and Gomez stay healthy, but if Trent Alexander's are out and then all of a sudden maybe Robertson drops, it's just, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And I think that makes it exciting in some ways, but it doesn't necessarily feel like it's fair. I don't know what you guys think about three subs versus five subs. I thought they were going to at least extend it for this whole season. Just because of the, no, I hate, I hate it. it. I hate five subs. We're all, we all support, um, lower less, end, less, we say? lesser premier league size. Sure, and sure. as a result, the post lockdown period, you know, the, the, the golfing squad depth quality was so apparent. And I appreciate where Pep and, uh, and Klopp are coming from here in terms of like a duty of care to players. Mm-hmm. But they're not looking at it from every angle. They're looking at it from, of course, their angle, which is fine. <laughs> from the other angle, it is so much more difficult to play against these teams if you're a middle order or bottom order Premier League side when they can bring five great players off the bench, let alone three. It, it, just, it just made another 10% worth of difference to make that game feel just ever so slightly more impossible. I couldn't help but shake that it felt wholly unfair. It tipped the balance into wholly unfair during right. the June and July period. But that's, that comes from my perspective. They're speaking from theirs and we're going to have differences. Okay, I just want to say really quick on the subs. Uh, I do hope that they consider, because I retired due to concussions, that if there are is a significant head injury, that you shouldn't be punished to bring somebody on the field for that. Absolutely. Well, and somebody came on and came at me hot, like, well, then now you're going to have people faking head injuries because head injuries are obviously tough to diagnose. And I said, I don't care. I'd rather it still be in place for, for the protection of the ones that actually do have significant head injuries. And that they have that in rugby, don't they? So it's just like a rolling sub that can always be made if a head injury is, is assessment comes on. So I think everyone should, you know, it seems like a sensible thing to do to have an HIA sub or at any time. You can always bring someone back off the bench or whatever if, if you need to. I think a head injury is, is almost certainly, you know, a sensible thing to suggest. Number two for me, and I think this could be a strong argument for number one, but number two is Messi saying he wants to leave Barcelona. Oh yeah. This guy is such an incredibly established player. He is synonymous with Barcelona. You don't think about Barcelona without thinking about Messi and vice versa for him to be that pissed and to be that embarrassed that they were not having the success that he thinks that they should have given the stature of the club, him wanting to say he, ah, it's crazy. That is that is, I never expected that in a million years, but here we are. And I still think, despite the fact that they fired uh, Bartomeu, that 
you know, all the things are starting to shift in Messi's favor. I still get the sense he's going to leave. I feel like once you've made a decision and you're starting to think about it in that way, he's going to be a good pro and finish out the season. But I, I could see him at Manchester City next season for sure. Yeah, <sighs> I definitely can. Yeah, I think, look, the City-Messi thing is is real. And I think that City will definitely, City are weighing up the situation. I mean, Messi's going to make this decision at the end of the season. He's going to see what happens with the election. And then he's going to see what is put in place, who they're actually going to sign, who's going to be the manager. Look, it might be that the new president manages to get Pep Guardiola back. I don't know. But to use an example, like that would obviously convince Messi to stay um, and rebuild around that. It might be that Pep and Messi reunite at Man City. I don't know. It could, it could equally go that way. Man City are probably the only club that can tempt Messi away. And the thing that really is intriguing to him is that he can join Man City, have his, have his short stint in the Premier League, and then there's the obvious pathway to NYCFC to end his career in MLS, which is exactly what he wants to do. Um, what about Newell's old boys? Hey, what about Newell's old boys? Okay, maybe he goes there very, very at the end. But like he's, he wants to play in MLS before he hangs up his boots. And the fact that he can join Man City and do those two things with one basically one entity, one big club, is really interesting to him. So... It's going to be really, really... In- Let's see what happens with this election because Messi's not happy right now, is he? Look at the way he's playing football. Like, it's, it's sad to see, to be honest. Like, We're not seeing Messi at his best at all. I don't know. He came on against Betis at the weekend and absolutely tore us yeah, apart. Like, including Betis, in, including Betis. The, the best no-look step-over of a ball. The, the assist will go down as Jordi Albert for Griezmann's first. But the fact that Messi just jumps over the ball and wipes out three players in one move without even looking is just... It, I mean, you just have to stand up and applaud sometimes, don't you? It's just like Anyone one of those. Anyone can help like, okay, Griezmann cool. score, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, look, I mean, yeah. there was that clip of him in midweek uh, where someone just literally dribbled past him, but didn't dribble past him, just cantered, sort of jogged past him with the ball because Messi was just walking. If you zoom was... out, though, that's actually not as bad as he looked in Is that it? one. No, no, way, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't think, um, I don't think I'm really holding that, that against him. I'm really, pr- I'm really pleased for that player who can now say that he's dribbled past Messi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's about Messi's, it. Messi's walked around football pitches for years. He has. Yeah, yeah he has, yeah. yeah. I don't think he's ever walked that slowly. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen him play multiple times in person, and he walks a lot. I mean, there's a joke amongst <laughs> Argentine journalists who say that if you look at the heat maps, the goalkeepers for Argentina actually run more than Messi does during a game. <laughs> yeah. we, you can't knock his efficiency. When he gets it, the game changes and every, all eyes are on him. And he obviously... The explosiveness, he, yeah. Jimmy, do you want to see Messi play somewhere else? I would like to see that. I think Manchester City is really the only destination for him to go because he could fit into that system so seamlessly. He knows the manager. He's going to be surrounded by world-class players. And not all the attention will be put on him. It will in a lot of different ways, but... It's going to be really hard to defend Manchester City next season. If you got Kevin De Bruyne on one side and Messi on the other, you got Sterling on one side. Uh, I'm curious to see if Aguero sticks around. I, I assume he will now because that's one of Messi's best friends. So Maybe, yeah, there's a yeah. there's a lot that that makes sense for him to go to Manchester City. Not only with Pep, but but some of the on the field and off the field relationships. I think it'll be a big jump for him. He his whole family grew up, was born in in Barcelona, so it'll be a bit of a culture shock, but. He's already dominated teams in England before. We saw him do it with Spur against Spurs uh, when he made them look like little boys uh, in the Champions League not a couple seasons ago. But yeah, I think that's the only fit. I mean, there really is, and in some ways, it's good for him because that's a nice leverage spot. If he said, "Hey, I'm going to go to Chelsea," you know, or whatever, and just sort of threaten these other moves, people are like, "Nah, you're not going to Chelsea, man." Yeah, you know, you don't fit there. There's not a lot of vibe, good vibes, you know, natural vibes there. But but Manchester City. 
makes a lot of sense and it's just be a nice, nice fit for him. So I would love to see him compete somewhere else. I think that's a knock on him, not only winning the world cup or the Copa America, but also he's never really gone to another league to compete, improve himself. And I think that's where Cristiano Ronaldo has the edge because he has challenged himself in other countries. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, I mean, it's going to take a big one to beat that, Jimmy, but uh, I'll be it intrigued is, to see what is. you got as number one here. I, I think mainly it's because that one was the most shocking, I'd say, the messy stuff. But this one makes me the most pissed. The fact that the French football people decided because league, uh, decide, you know, ended their season short that, you know what, we're not going to have the ball on door. We're not going to have the ball on door. And I think that is absolutely disrespectful to the man who easily had the best season of his life. Maybe one of the best seasons of a number nine of all time, Robert Lewandowski. The fact that he will not win a ball on door, given what he's done for Bayern over this last year is nothing short of disgraceful. And I have, I'm going to have to write a strongly worded letter to France football about that because there was no way Mbappe or Neymar or anybody else coming from Liga or any other leagues that stopped short were ever going to top the season that Robert Lewandowski had. I think that's bullshit. You can put me on record saying it. And I think they're cowards. <laughs> there we have it. There we yeah. have it. The, uh, We're I mean, done. Thanks for having me. Everybody. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Like, it's, it's been, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can't disagree with you, Jimmy. So, and I'm and I'm not going to. And I don't think you're going to find much uh, much resistance from the three of us. We were we were equally cross. Uh, well, maybe not quite equally. I don't think any of us are quite as livid as you are. But we were we were all Jimmy's we were smashing all pretty up his room angry. right now. It's only eight a.m. I, I was delighted. Remember? <laughs> yeah. Sam was Sam was happy because he didn't have to do a Ballon d'Or ranking. But that was. <laughs> <laughs> from from you know apart from personal selfish reasons sam um we were all a bit angry yeah i mean yeah. Look, it's 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 ridiculous the ballon d'or um as an award doesn't make sense oh and Lewandowski not winning it too that kind of stupid as well the lo- the logic from france football wasn't there was it they were like it's not a normal season so we shouldn't host it i mean at the risk of never being invited to one of their ceremonies ever again is it just because you can't run the ceremony is that it is that yeah, it i don't, just, I don't you- know you just want your big bash, which is, you know, glorious and glamorous. And I've been to it twice. It is, it is, it is a very nice event to have. It wasn't glamorous of... for us, mate. Uh, <laughs> no, true, actually. The first, the, first one, the first one I went to was much better. Um, yeah. Backstage last year was not like, glamorous. Obviously, obviously the, the Ballon d'Or award is, is probably for, for France football. At least it kind of feels less about honoring the correct player and more about having a wonderful gala in Paris. Yeah. And if you take away that second element, then I don't think they really saw the value in it, which is a real shame for Lewandowski because... You'd have to be really bold not to argue that he hasn't wiped the floor with everybody this season because he's carried it on into the new season as well. He's already like five ahead in the Bundesliga scoring charts. The guy's a machine and he won the treble. It was his. Quintuple, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, they could have just gone online and said, hey, listen, we know Lewandowski's a beast. We're just going to give it to him this season. And and whatever, as you say, it's just an individual award at the end of the day. But, But when you have this big conversation about, you know, Messi has this many and Ronaldo has this many and, you know, for a player who's put everything into it, it just like, just give him the award. Messi and Ronaldo didn't touch him, you know? And, and uh, I don't know. I just thought it was, as I already said my piece, I just, I'm pissed about it. <laughs> no, and I think you're, you're absolutely right. It is one of those things. It's a shame. And you'll see like, you know, the best award will be given out and all of these things. And they're just, you know, they all feel a bit kind of, 
you know, I remember giving seeing the best awards given out and thinking, yeah, this is nice, but it's not the Ballon d'Or. And in years to come, people will go, like, oh, yeah, Robert Lewandowski, he won the best. And that year, he almost certainly would have won the Ballon d'Or, but he's never going to be given, you know, the credit he perhaps deserves. And and we'll end up watching him in 20 years' times on programmes that are like, the best players who never won the Ballon d'Or, <laughs> knowing that it was an absolute sham that he, exactly. he actually didn't exactly. get one. So, I mean, on, I mean, that's, uh, I think there's no, there's no real arguments, Jimmy. That is probably the biggest, the biggest shock of the season. And, um, and that's, that concludes the list. I, I did want to give an honorable mention, and this is more of a performance-related thing. Just, I'm not necessarily shocked, but just continually impressed by the continued evolution of Romelu Lukaku. Uh, I just thought he was terrific for Inter Milan last season in particular. When he doesn't play, it's clear that, they, that he's a big loss for them. Uh, the transition from England to Italy can't be easy, and I think he's done it quite seamlessly. And, and I just want to give him a shout-out because that guy's been awesome to watch as well. Yeah, he's like, I think we saw at the weekend, even, you know, how toothless Inter look when he's not playing. And that partnership with with him and Lautaro has been absolutely phenomenal. They they just complement each other so nicely. And when one of them isn't there, Inter just don't look at the races. And I think it's potentially a big part of why they haven't quite, you know, worked you know, in the last couple of weeks. And we, we've seen that kind of miss from, from Lukaku's side. I think you're absolutely right, Jimmy. Um, that game against Real Madrid, they lost 3-2. They'd have won that. If Lukaku was there, I'm absolutely sure of it. Oh, he was such a pivotal loss. And they, they got the draw against Atalanta, but they struggled so much with Atalanta's pressing and 1v1. What you want in that scenario is to be able to just hoof it up to Lukaku, have him protect and have him run the channel with it and just break through that press. And he just wasn't there. And for like literally 45 minutes, Inter couldn't get near. They just couldn't get near Atalanta's box. And the value of him becomes so much more clear when he's not there. It's amazing. Absolutely. Well, that's pretty much all we've got time for in this main ranking. But Jimmy, thank you so much for joining us as ever. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being the first guest on Ranks FC. We uh, we owe you and hopefully when the when the shirts come out, you'll be the first to, to receive your, uh, your I better Ranks be FC one of the shirt. first. I better Don't be worry. one of the first. You were the first. Really first. Be on top of the list. You were the first to receive a Ranks shirt. You'll be the first to receive a Ranks FC shirt uh, with no doubt about that. But thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And go for them. <laughs> Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Answer me this. How long have you had that mattress? Because it's looking even lumpier than my lockdown love handles. And while those might be more cuddly, a lumpy mattress is doing nothing for your comfort levels or your sleep. So whatever body you're rocking, put it on a Nectar mattress. Prices start at just $499, and you get $399 in accessories thrown in. That includes a Nectar mattress, mattress protector, cooling pillows and sheet set, a 365-night home trial, and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com and get hugged. Welcome back to Ranks FC, and thank you so much to Jimmy Conrad, of course, for that wonderful ranking. Our first guest is uh, very special, just as we expected, eh, lads? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We can always rely on Jimmy, can't we? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, look, to, to pull the reader behind the curtain a little bit, or the, the listener, like when we started BR Football Ranks, we were looking for a, an, an impressive first guest, shall we say. And I happened just to message Jimmy and he was in London for like two days randomly. 
So Jack and I ran upstairs to our bosses, all giddy and excited. We were stood there like bouncing on the spot and they were like, what the hell is going, what is wrong with you two? What have you, we looked like children who were just, who had just found Raided like, the sweet shop. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Like, we got, can we get Jimmy Conner on the pod? Can we get Jimmy Conner on the pod? I was like, oh, go on then. Yeah, go on then. And he turned out to be the perfect first guest. So it felt right to get him back on and he's delivered as always. He's great to, uh, to speak to. Absolutely. Right. Dean, it is time for your time to shine. Uh, let's do it. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Adamola Lookman. Oh, Oh, my beloved Fulham. The first pre-announced melon of all time. first time I had to to break tradition and and tweet this out because I've never been watching a game and just instantly known that that is the melon. I mean, Fulham, for anyone that doesn't know, Fell behind to West Ham in the 92nd minute to a Suchek goal. And then deep into added time, and by the time he took the penalty, it was like the 98th minute, I think. Fulham get a penalty courtesy of VAR and a Tom Kenny gets tripped up. And Mitrovic is the normal penalty taker, but Lukman gets the ball. Mitro had missed one recently and apparently had a slight knock, which I'm not convinced about. Anyway, Lukman picks up the ball, walks up to the spot, and Penenka's it. It has barely got any weight behind it and it's not in the middle and it's the way that Fabianski was actually going to dive. So Fabianski, even though he has gone, just reaches out his left glove and stops it. It was like it was in slow motion. It was genuinely that slow. It it just went really, really wrong for him. Uh, Fulham lost 1-0. It was the last kick of the game. It will go down as the worst Panenka attempt of all time, I imagine. Uh, he'll be mocked about it for the rest of his career, which is really, really sad because... Adam Ola Lookman is a brilliant footballer and this is the type of player he is. He's going to try stuff like this. He's a flair player. You never, he's never going to walk up and just smash it. Like Jack found a clip actually of him trying this at an, in an England youth game and in a penalty shootout. And he, he did exactly the same penalty and it went in. Um, I presume that Fulham players have seen him try this in training. It was not ideal, but yeah, oh, it's Melanie, melon, you know, he's, he's been brilliant for Fulham and, and we obviously forgive him, but it was very Melanie behavior and, and oh. especially a club which need needs points. It's just just a real shame, a real shame. But uh, but it is what it is. And I'm not going to dwell on it. So <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 my turn. Uh, OK, gibberish for this week. Well, I'm sure you guys have noticed, but certainly in England anyway, by about 4.30 p.m. nowadays, it's pretty much pitch black, which can only mean one thing. Winter is coming. And this time around, I have decided to bring you my three winter tips. Okay, let's okay. have it. These are these are ways to get through these, the, the coldest three months of the year and the most depressing as well. I'm going to start with something semi-serious at number three. I implore you all to read. So if it's cold and if it's wet and if it's definitely, definitely miserable... And at the risk of sounding a little bit too much like Phyllis Vance from The Office US, you should curl up with a good book. And I can recommend you any number of fantasy novels. Jack is basically a walking index on football books. You can reach out to Jimmy, who is wizened and experienced in the ways that we cannot fathom. And Dean is also on this podcast. So like all of that combined, like we'll be able to give you the recommendations you need. And I would just implore you all to read, particularly for all of the aspiring sports journalists out there who very frequently message all three of us and ask us for tips. If you don't read, you can't really write. So read as widely as you can. 
bit a bit harsh there actually dean's halfway through the mr men series so um... <laughs> actually no, the only books i read these days are pepper pig and that's not actually <laughs> i downloaded um... an ebook for the first time and that was like three weeks ago and i'm on page 25 <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know the mr men books were that long yeah no absolutely go on then what's at number two that's a quite okay. sensible tip from your from your normally really random rankings yes of course at number two uh, this is slightly sensible as well this is i would i would implore you all to get an sad lamp have you heard of these oh yeah i've got a lucy i bought one for lucy once for her birthday so seasonal affective disorder obviously tends to hit for many people around this time of year and if you're in some form of quarantine which we are it's going to hit that little bit harder and one thing my fiance found uh was an sad lamp which is basically a lamp that you put on in front of you it's like a really bright light and 20 30 minutes a day pop it on while you're i don't know at your desk or whatever and it increases your melatonin and serotonin so two things that you can't really get unless there's like good sunshine and if you're not doing as many outdoor activities so so number one when you cook using the oven and when you're done turn the oven off but leave the door open it's free heating it's not free you paid for the oven but it's extra hot air there's loads of heat inside the oven that can come out and stabilize your room temperature and if that means for an hour your heating doesn't come on, then that's perfect. You saved money. And I've just saved you money. I started this when I was what 21. Is this? Martin Lewis's money saving tips. Like- <laughs> <laughs> I started this when I was 21. I moved into my first flat in Bristol. I had wooden floor. The windows didn't shut properly. I had no curtains. I was absolutely freezing. And the all of the radiators were like those oil heating ones that are really expensive to run. I just couldn't afford to do it. So I just started leaving the oven door open after I'd, I'd finished cooking. And honestly, the temperature change was incredible. Mm. And I'm still doing it now, closing in on 31. There you mm. go, mate. Fantastic. Yeah, I just Googled what, a decade, what a decade it's been. <laughs> mate, I had, I had, as soon as you said this, I think I better send out a health warning here. It says, do not use a gas oven for heating it may lead to carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah, if you've got a gas oven, do not listen to Sam. It's only as applicable if you have an electric oven. Yeah, um, yeah. it's the fan but, oven. It's the fan oven life. Don't listen to Sam anyway. Just making so. sure that nobody dies after listening to your advice. Yeah, absolutely. We we are not responsible. We're taking no responsibility. There is a disclaimer for this podcast. And on that bombshell, it's probably time to call this a day. Um, thank you so much for Jimmy Conrad for joining us. It's been a really, really fun episode. Our first episode with a guest we said and uh, what a guest to lead on and all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much Sam Tai cheers buddy try not to kill anyone else to Dean Jones yes mate good luck with them Mr Men books I've been Jack Collins this has been Ranks FC and we'll see you next week gang take care peace fair play and fair value it's what playing at William Hill is all about William Hill it's who you play with gamble responsibly 